Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Wow. It doesn't say anything about uh, social programs. God says, I can heal a land. Not if the unsaved people get right with God, but if my people, that's you and me, who are called by his name, shall humble ourselves. Nothing ever happens in our lives until we humble ourselves, right? Now, if we don't humble ourselves, then sometimes God will humble you. You ever have that happen? Right? Because you see, the Bible says if we humble ourselves then God will lift us up. In other words, God chooses the time, the place, and the process of lifting us up. But we first of all have to humble ourselves. We have to realize, I'm nothing. My education, pfft. my talent, my, my, my charisma, zip, when it comes to accomplishing anything for God. You remember what Jesus told his disciples? Without me you can do... I can't hear you. Nothing. See, there's nobody here but us, so we can talk. Without me you can do nothing. And so consequently, if we are commanded to carry out the great gospel, if we're commanded to, to, to make an impact in our community... I'd just as soon do something that's going to take place, that's going to have permanence. That means I can't do anything but with God all things, I can't hear you, are possible. We've been studying the book of Nehemiah. You read in chapter 2 of Nehemiah that he was the cup bearer for Artaxerxes the king. And he heard that everything had fallen apart back in his home area in Jerusalem, that the walls were all torn down. And, and, and so chapter 1, he was just fasting and praying and weeping and, and just broken down for the, the condition of his people. <laughs> so it says in chapter 2 that when he was to taste the the drink before he gave it to the king, and he was to taste the food before he gave it to the king. That's a very important position. Nehemiah was, was, was a man of, of, of talent, of, of character, of intellect. Nehemiah could pretty well do whatever he wanted to do, whatever he needed to do. It's amazing to me how God arranged all of these things in his order. 
Do you realize who Artaxerxes the king is? Do you realize who his stepmother was? Her name is Esther. Yes. Esther, of the book of Esther, that took a stand for God and, and, and you know, stood up and said, I am a Jewess, and saved her people from annihilation. That was Artaxerxes' stepmother. So you can imagine just the impact and influence that this godly woman had on this young man by the name of Artaxerxes. He grows up, and now his cupbearer is a man by the name of Nehemiah. The amazing thing is, in chapter 4, we begin to see that they started to build the wall, and, and all the resources have been provided by King Artaxerxes, and, and they even uh, provided uh, a protection as, as Nehemiah uh, was going back to the land. And, and so basically, he got back to the land, and, and he saw the walls were all broken down, and, and, and so he just kind of walked around the city and had some men uh, of the city following him and going with him, and... and uh, Finally, at the end of that chapter, he told them of the good hand of the Lord upon him and what God had told him to do and, and the project that, that, uh, that uh, he wanted to set before them. And so chapter 4, they start building the wall. And what an exciting time. But whenever you're doing a work for God, guess who's not happy? I can't hear you. Satan is not happy. See, Satan is not happy with what's going on right here in One Hope Church. Satan is not happy that, that a new ministry is being established to reach all nations in this area. Satan is not happy at all with that. So he will do everything he possibly can to discourage and defeat. He never changes his method of operation. He's always against God and God's people. And so chapter 4 tells us that Tobiah and Sanballat and one other man stood up and began to ridicule. Well, that didn't stop Nehemiah and the people from the building. And so it says that they, they, they started then threatening them. And so in chapter 4, it says, So we prayed and we built. All the way through Nehemiah, you will see whenever opposition comes, those little words, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. Now, they did other things. They built, and they even had swords in one hand, and, and, and uh, trowel in the other hand as they, as they built the wall. Fifty-two days, the wall was completed, an amazing uh, uh, fulfillment, but not without opposition. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And that's what I want to focus our attention on today. Nehemiah's type of praying is a type of praying that we see in 2, Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If we seek his face, what does that mean? Well, turn your Bible back to Matthew chapter 7. It's right at the end of 
the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, we have some very positive promises. Ask, seek, and knock. Matthew chapter 7, notice verse number 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, the old evil nature within us, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to them who what? Who ask? Now, so many times we read those verses and we say, um, <clears throat> there have been times that I've asked for something and nothing happened. You with me? You ever prayed a prayer and you were fervent about it? And you even, you even quoted the verse that, that said, uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Avails much. And so he said, Lord, as far as I know, I'm righteous, and, 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 and my, my prayer is a fervent prayer, and, and uh, nothing. And you're kind of going, okay. So what happens when that happens? Our tendency is to what? Stop praying. Right? Stop praying. Well, I, I don't know what happened to that, that ask, seek, and knock uh, promise, but it doesn't seem to be working for me, so I, may, I, I don't know. I'll, and we stop praying too soon. Or we start praying differently. So many times when we're in a mess, our prayer is, Dear God, Please get me out of this. Wrong prayer. We should be praying, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? Amen? What is it that you're trying to teach me? Now, he said, ask, because Jesus is present. In other words, Jesus said, I will never what? Leave you or forsake you. So he said, simply ask. Because Jesus is present. Then he said, seek and you will find. Now, in other words, if I have to seek for something, that means it's what? It's lost or it's hidden, right? And so if I ask and nothing happens, then the Bible says, seek and you will find. See, sometimes I'm asking, but, but, but things aren't right. I'm asking, not asking the right way or wrong motives or whatever. And, and so the Lord says, I want you to open the Word of God and seek my face and seek my will. 
Because sometimes our prayers are not according to his will. And we find that then in his word and we go, oh, okay. Seek and you will find his will. Oh, or uh, how about knock and it shall be opened unto you. Nothing. Nothing. Went to Sue's birthday party yesterday, but didn't quite get all the directions to the location of the party. It was right next door to the house, through the woods. I didn't get those directions. And so I'm at the house. Not a car is there. I ring the doorbell. I'm knocking. I'm looking in the window. Like, it's 4.30. That's when we're supposed to arrive. What's going on? And see, sometimes that's the way heaven is. Amen? And sometimes God just wants us to keep on praying. But not just keep on praying. God wants us to learn that our real dependence is upon Him. And answers don't necessarily come easily or quickly. Have you learned that about prayer? They don't necessarily come quickly. Or so, Sometimes I think God is wanting to say, rethink your request. Right? What am I asking God for? Is it not His will? Or is it not His time? You ever ask God for something, and then later it came to pass? Remember the parents of John the Baptist? They prayed and prayed and prayed for a child. But finally, in God's time, John the Baptist was born. In God's time. And so sometimes we have to rethink our request. Lord, is, is it the wrong time? Or maybe, do I need to have new direction? You see, sometimes the answer is no. Now, how do you take a no when you're asking God for direction. How do you take that? What's that? We have to wait. Maybe it's later. But what if it's never? How do you do when God says no? You know, sometimes we just need to thank God for the no's. I'm just thinking about the first girl I ever fell in love with. Seriously, thought about marrying her. I am so glad God said no. Amen? You have the same experience? Are you glad you didn't marry the first girl you fell in love with? Fourth grade? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Not sure how quickly it was you fell in love with that first girl, but... but God said no. 
And sometimes God wants us to examine our motives. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Notice in verse number 3. James chapter 4 and verse number 3. Well, read verse 2. You desire and do not have. You murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Oh, but you ask. You do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it upon your passions. In other words, underlying selfishness is a part of your request. And God says, I want you to Re-examine your motives. Why, why are you praying this prayer? What are your motives? Uh, sometimes in my counseling, my last uh, active ministry, I was a counseling pastor for 11 and a half years. Sometimes I'd be sitting across the, the, uh, uh, the desk, and this couple was sitting there, and they were having real frustrating problems. And so the woman would tell me, Pastor, I'm, I'm just praying that, that my husband will get right with God. I'm praying he'll become a spiritual leader. I'm praying that, you know, blah, 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 and laid out all the litany of all the things that she wanted him to become. And I said, uh, maybe you're praying the wrong prayer. Well, is there something else he needs to change? <laughs> I said, that's not the prayer I'm talking about. Maybe you need to pray that God will help you to be more respectful of the husband that you have. Well, it gets real quiet. And she says, <laughs> she gives me the look. <laughs> you know what the look is? Sometimes the rolling of the eyes. See, sometimes we are praying with the wrong motives. And God says, I'm not going to answer that prayer. This is the prayer I want you to pray. Remember the old Negro spiritual? It's a me, it's a me, it's a me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Amen? And sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because our motives are wrong. And God wants us to come to believe that, that He truly knows what is best for us. In other words, he wants us to totally trust in him, in his timing, in his will, in his way. You know, so many times, uh, if God answers your prayer, you say, oh man, God is so good, he just did this, you know. Does that mean if he didn't do that, God is not good? See, sometimes God is good when he says no. Or when he says, wait. You see, we have to know that God knows what's best. And, and sometimes faith is just knowing that God has your rebellious son in the palm of his hand, even though you can't seem to be doing anything with him. But God says, I'm working. Trust me. Keep praying. But trust me. See, God works in many ways when we can't see it or hear it. Amen? And so He wants us to continue to pray and trust 
that God will continue to do His work. Now, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. The first reason that we want to look at for God not answering prayer is praying without discord. It says in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not what? Be hindered. So in other words, what he's saying is discord in our homes can cause our prayers to be stopped. Discord in the home. Now, it says dwell with them according to an understanding way. That's a, a deeper, more spiritual knowledge of scriptural principles. How am I supposed to dwell with my wife? Understanding spiritual, uh, scriptural principles in a deeper way will help me to know how to treat my wife. That word honor there is talking about value that's based on the price that was paid. So, talking about your wife, what price was paid for your wife? The blood of Jesus. Amen? So, to value your wife based on the price that was paid for her, we have to realize there is no greater price that could be paid. And so the blood of Jesus shows the value of your wife. And then it calls her a vessel. Now, a vessel is something that, a, that, 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 that contains a substance. What substance does your wife contain? It's the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so, you dwell with her according to knowledge... Because she is a vessel that contains the Holy Spirit and the value of that vessel is the price that was paid and that's the precious blood of Jesus. So how should you treat your wife? Wow. The Bible says you're heirs together of the grace of life. In other words, it talks about opportunities of being parents and, and, and your children's uh, uh, future in view your children's very future in view based on how things are going at home. Praying without discord. I think that's probably one of the reasons Satan fights the homes so much. Satan fights our marriages so much because he knows if we can have discord in the home, our prayers are going to be stopped. doesn't make any difference how we pray, how long we pray. God says, straighten up your home. Straighten up that marriage. And also, sibling relationships. Is there discord between you and your brother or your sister? Mm. See, that's still discord in the home. Is that keeping people from coming to church? Is that keeping people from actually coming to Christ because our prayers are hindered? Praying without discord. Secondly, Psalm chapter 66 and verse 18 talks about praying without defilement. Praying without defilement. Psalm chapter 66. 
and verse number 18. Pray without defilement. The Bible says, If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished iniquity, the word cherish means to gaze intently at, to thoroughly enjoy. So if there's a sin in my heart, notice it's in my heart, not in my hands, not my feet, not my actions, but it's in my heart. If I cherish iniquity right here in the desire location of my heart, wow, the Lord will not hear me. And you mark it down, if he doesn't hear me, he certainly is not going to help me. Amen? If God doesn't hear me, he's not going to help me. Often in my counseling times, I would say to folks, if you refuse to forsake your sin, God will refuse to forgive it. If you refuse to forsake your sin, sometimes I was dealing with sins of the heart. Nobody could see them. Nobody knew they were there at first. But after a sin of a heart continues to be cherished and built up and guarded, guess what happens? It begins to be evidenced outside of our heart, in our actions, in our words, in our attitudes, because we have cherished something in our hearts that God has said, that is wrong. So if I cherish iniquity in my heart, stop praying. What? Well, you might as well. Because God says, I won't hear you. You're wasting your time. In other words, if you're asking God to forgive you and you're planning on doing it again, there's a word in the Greek for that. Duh. Seriously? In the Greek. I knew you'd want to learn some Greek today. Yeah. I mean, how, how dumb can we be? Confess and plan on doing it again. Planning on doing it again. Well, I'm confessing it. And God says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesses and forsakes will find mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. Defilement. So he will not hear me. You know, the, the same thing was found in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, part of the Lord's Prayer, where he talks about, uh, you know, forgiveness of other people and says, if you don't do that, he won't hear you. And so consequently, we need to be praying without defilement. Thirdly, praying without doubting. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 1 and verse number 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no what? Doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven, tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Wow. 
So we have to be praying without doubting. In other words, we have to simply say, Lord, I, I, I know that, 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 that I've kind of given up on it. And God says, start back praying. And start praying believing. Believing. I've got a sign above our bed that says, faith is not believing that God can, it is knowing that he will. That's right above our bed. Faith is not believing God can. It's knowing that he will. And if I'm praying with doubting, James chapter 1 says, I'll not receive anything from the Lord. So I need to start believing and start saying, Lord, I've examined your word. I can't find anything that is contrary to what I'm praying. And, and, and uh, so I believe I'm praying in your will. And, and I don't have any discord in our home that, that, that would hinder the prayers. And, and, and there's no sin in my life that, that you've revealed to me that, that I need to confess. So consequently, I'm just going to continue to pray and pray and pray, believing. How many of you have heard of the name David Brainerd, missionary to the American Indians? He was an amazing young man. He was in his 20s when he decided, I'm going to go preach to the American Indians. <laughs> and and uh, he had a few churches that, that said, well, we'll send you some, some monthly support. And so he said, okay, single guy. Only problem was he did not speak the language of the Indians, nor did they speak his language. And so consequently, he would go to a tribe and try to use a little sign language or whatever and hold up the Bible and point to, to heaven and, and, and he would begin to preach in English and then kind of look at him like, what? Six or seven people might come to, to, to listen to him preach and, and, and it was... It, it was one time he found uh, an Indian that could speak his language and so he said I'll be an interpreter so it came time to, 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 to preach and, and the Indian was so drunk he could barely stand up but he at least was able to interpret it into the Indian language and, and numbers of Indians got saved and Brainerd's going man wow Brainerd did not preach hell and fire and damnation he preached the love of God. And he won their hearts long before they ever understood his language. Love. Now, as he prayed and prayed and prayed, many times he spent entire days in prayer. One time he was, he was <clears throat> uh, by his fire, it was at night, and before he went to bed, he knelt down and began to pray. And unbeknownst to him, the Indians of the next village he was going to be going to had surrounded his campfire and, and was going to kill him. But they said, let's just wait till he gets done praying. <laughs> and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And they started getting tired of waiting for him to Stop praying so they start talking about maybe we should just go ahead and kill him now. 
And by that time, a rattlesnake came into the camp area and appeared that he was going to strike David Brainerd in his prayer. Brainerd continued to pray. Indians watched. Rattlesnake dropped back down to the ground and slithered away. Boy, their eyes got real big like, whoa. Whoever he's praying to has some mighty, amazing power. They went back into the village, left him alone. The next day when he came into their village, they were ready to listen because they believed this man has a God that can protect him from a rattlesnake. This man has something we need to learn about. But he didn't understand what was going on. He was physically exhausted. He was so discouraged. He felt like nobody's listening to me. Nothing's happening. I'm spending days, days and days in prayer and nothing's happening. And just when he was getting ready to quit and tell the churches, stop sending money, nothing, I'm just going to quit and give up. The interpreter that was going to interpret for him at the next tribe got saved. And as, as Brainerd would, would preach with, with all the, the, the fervency that he had in his body, the interpreter began to preach with the same fervency because he had trusted Christ as his Savior. And instead of six or seven people ascending, uh, assembling, 70 people assembled. And Brainerd was just kind of standing there as the congregation was coming together and, and he thought, where in the world did all these people come from and what in the world is going on? And he preached his message and scores of them trusted Christ as their Savior. Why? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Now, is that the same God that David Brainerd had? Talk to me. Same God, right? If God can answer prayer like that back then, do you have people that you need to be praying for? That maybe you've stopped praying for because you've given up, you've invited them to church, you've tried to talk to them on the job, and there just doesn't seem to be any interest, and you've just given up. Got anybody like that? Praying without ceasing. Our heads are bowed.